You're listening to the Comic Book Informer Podcast with Vincent Raj, a podcast for everyone from comic nerds to comic noobs. You know who you are. Now here's your host, Vince. Hello, everybody, and welcome to issue 163 of the Comic Book Informer podcast. This is Vince along with Roger, and yes, things are finally getting back to normal around here. Uh, but big thanks, Raj, for uh, taking the reins a couple extra weeks while I was uh, focused elsewhere. Well, somebody had to. <laughs> I'm just saying, damn it. We can't let this keep happening. There were complaints. People had had enough. I've just had, en- had enough of what? Of me hosting, <laughs> apparently. No. <laughs> Shut that guy up. Hey, actually, did you hear the news? The big news? Bigger uh, than the death of Spider-Man. The death of Archie? Yes. <laughs> did you see the Alex Ross cover? No, I didn't. Oh, my God. It is the creepiest thing I've ever seen. <laughs> the cover I'm looking at is Kennedy Smith. It's uh, basically everybody's purple except for Betty, Veronica, and and Archie, who's lying in a pool of his own blood. <laughs> what I, I actually have to find this for you real quick. <laughs> Seriously, what? It's like freaking whether it's the publishers, the editors, or the writers think that in order to make something impactful, somebody's got to die. You got to kill them off. And it's like, come on. What kills me here is the tagline that they've been building up towards, you know, this this story with Archie telling adult stories. And what would he be maybe in his early 20s there? (laughs) And they're killing him off. That's it. We've had it with this real life crap. You have to die. So I, sorry, it came off as utterly moronic. Look at how hilarious that is. All right. Oh my God, is that ever creepy? That is the image of nightmares. <laughs> wow, that is creepy as hell. And how is that? does that relate to his death? You know what would have been funny is if, in, uh, now I'm going to have to put the picture or the link in the show notes, but make, just check the show notes if you haven't seen this, folks. But if they would have replaced Archie with like, what's his name? The, um, uh, the dark-haired one who's always the... Reggie? Yes. If I'm going to put Reggie with the same face. So it looks like they're all looking down on him dying on the ground. (laughs) (laughs) That would have been awesome. Frightening as hell also, but awesome nonetheless. Yeah, I'm not going to sleep right tonight. Wow. (laughs) Thanks, Alex Ross. Yeah, really? What the hell prompted him to do that? I... Okay. I I got nothing. (laughs) But yeah, I, I just thought this was... I mean, obviously... I don't really follow Archie, so I don't know how this works with canon or if the quote-unquote life with Archie was supposed to be this completely separate series that does not factor into canon. I have no idea. They've been doing insane stuff over there. I think they did a crossover with Kiss recently. (sighs) Okay, anyways, I just had to mention it because I saw this and I thought this is just freaking, again, moronic in my opinion. (laughs) Well, in slightly less terrifying news, (laughs) uh, 
as I'm sure everybody is aware, uh, this past week was the big release of the Captain America Winter Soldier movie, and I'll have some thoughts on that later on in the show. But I figured there's no better time to really look at the storyline that – I don't want to say it inspired the movie because very little of the comic story is actually in the movie, but at least – the main central character of the Winter Soldier himself did come from uh, a very big comic story. And that was out of time from the 2005 relaunch of Captain America, the first six issues. Written by Ed Brubaker, art by Steve Epting, Michael Lark, and Frank Darmada. And I really, like, I remember when I read this and it first came out, I was like, man, this was pretty cool. Because this is actually the first time I'd really enjoyed a solo Captain America series. As I've said so many times, there's a lot of characters that I like in concept but really reading them month to month doesn't do much for me. And for a long time, Captain America is one of those characters. I liked him as, you know, the ultimate badass, the leader of the Avengers, but wasn't really all that interested in his day-to-day life. But everybody was making such a big deal out of this, I had to check it out. And I actually really enjoyed this because of Brubaker's, at least to that point, much different take on Captain America. Previously, he'd always been, you know, they'd always look back on his time in World War II as, you know, the, the great heroic era, you know, the, the greatest generation and so many, you know, great things that the Americans did in World War II. And it was always the sanitized, like, newsreel version of World War II. But what Brubaker did that at least I hadn't seen another writer do, it's entirely possible it happened over the course of 500-some issues, was really broke it down and like, well, yeah, okay, the guy was a hero, but he was a soldier. He fought in Europe during World War II. He saw some things in his time over there, and he carries that with him just like so many other military combatants do. And that's what really drew me into the story was seeing that aspect of the character and how it affected him throughout the storyline. I would have liked to have seen more of that, actually, because, again, and I haven't read a lot of Captain America either, because, again, we've talked about this before. It doesn't. It's not really a series that I'm that interested in. And for the most part, the character can come off as fairly two-dimensional. So it's never been something that I've really been that thrilled about. Now, that's it too, having read these here that you forced me to read. The, there's, like, just because of how much is going on, aside from the moments that we see Cap, there's really not that much with him. There's not that Mm-hmm. You know, there, there, there's enough with him and, and what's her face? Ah, damn it. His old Sharon. girlfriend, Sharon. Yeah, that's what I thought it was. I wasn't positive. And there's the moments where he's remembering, but it's the false memories and all that. And then the memories that are, in fact, true of what happened there. But there's really still, there's not, there's not that much to really sink your teeth into with him. I don't know. It's hard to explain. And part of it is the character, too. They're making him kind of clam up and not talk a lot. And when he does, though, is when you get those moments where he is recounting some of what happened when he was there and how horrific it was and things like that. And how and then when he's talking about Bucky and and the type of soldier that he was, those are profound moments that those I would have liked to have seen so much more of that. And it's also not like they just decided, oh, let's change up the character's attitude because this – I mean this was really the perfect time for this change in style because this was after the Avengers disassembled when the Avengers broke up, Hawkeye, Vision had died, you know, all the chaos that happened there. So it actually makes sense that 
Cap would kind of regress into those old war memories because he's seeing the people around him dying so frequently again. Yeah. So where the story starts off, and I might as well throw it out there. Yes, we're going to spoil a 10-year-old comic. (laughs) And yes, it's going to spoil a major reveal for the movie that Marvel has done everything in their power to spoil themselves. (laughs) Yeah. Okay, moving on. (laughs) We start off with uh, a Russian general, Lukin, who's... Uh, kind of a you know a renegade go, going off the reservation, taking his big cache of weapons and using some, selling others off to the highest bidder. And this is when they introduce, of course, Captain America's greatest villain of the Red Skull. And right at the beginning of The Soldier, Red Skull finds something he really wants to get his hands on. Of course, we find out later that this is the Winter Soldier. And Lucan says, you can have it, but in exchange for your cosmic cube. And this becomes the central core of the story here of we've seen in the past – Red Skull has gotten his hands on the super powerful cosmic cube artifact and lost it, got it back. And, you know, they're they're in a weird limbo right now where he's working on getting it back, but doesn't quite have it. But Lucan knows he wants it for his own nefarious means. And I actually was really like, again, on a second reading, I noticed more so than the first time through how at least early on in the story, they built this up to be like throughout the first and, and second issue. And this is Captain America's coming back. Red Skull is going to be his front and central villain. And I think it was right in issue two where they just killed the Red Skull. And it was a it was a shift of, you know, our perceptions for the story because it's the tried and true Captain America story, Captain America versus the Red Skull. So just taking out the Red Skull without Cap even being involved was a pretty big switch for at the time. Well, see, this is going back again to this what I was saying with the death of, of Archie kind of thing. It's whenever there's, I, I'm so jaded by mm-hmm. this because of the comic book industry now that whenever something like this happens, I'm like, well, oh, that's not part of Canon. Is it did, did they actually stick with that for a little while? Because he's been around we, and he doesn't have a hole in his chest. <laughs> so I'm trying to piece together what in fact happened. I, I do like it, that. It actually they ties into the whole death and return of Captain America himself when they, killed him off for a while yeah so it was it was interesting and it was a a shift as well yeah not so much like the actual death of the character because we've seen that so many times but the way they'd built the story up to revolve around the red skull and then to just quickly move him off the board and put lucan into place as really the big bad villain for the story piece I, i thought that was a pretty interesting way to go about it yeah although the whole thing with him drinking the wine how many times do we have to see something like that you've got a skull it's not gonna you're gonna dribble there's no – it's never a cool idea for a skull to drink. <laughs> it, it, it's, it's been done. It's not cool anymore. I don't care how badass you are. You dribble all over the front of your shirt, not so much a badass anymore. That's why he always wears those black shirts. No, it was a white shirt. I'm looking at it right now. Oh, it was white I, at the time? Well, he's yeah, usually wearing like the Nazi uniform. It's when he's uniform, wearing so. that fancy outfit and then he's drinking wine and I'm like, oh, come on. <laughs> and that's like right page what? four or five it's not far in and it's like oh, okay it got better luckily <laughs> but as we see with lucan's plan taking skull off the board it really again it dredged up a lot of stuff from cap's past uh the the patsy they had set up if you will to uh take fall for an explosion later on was at one time a replacement bucky it goes into the the whole 50s captain america which 
God, that's a whole discussion in and of itself. But yeah, after Captain America and Bucky, quote, disappeared at the end of World War II, there was a new guy that filled in for them. So that was Jack Monroe was the new Bucky and later on actually teamed up with Captain America. So we get that whole backstory and as well as the uh, identities of the other two replacement Captain Americas. That their you know their graves were desecrated, and Steve goes on to tell the stories about you know the guys that held up his ideal, and it, you just see the weight that Steve himself carries around as a symbol, you know, knowing that you know there's so many other people who picked it up and carried it for him for a time, and it's just the whole story just builds up of just all these weights on Steve's shoulders, and, and you know at some point he's going to crack. Now that being said, let me ask you this. Prior to this, um, how much was known about? Like, is this? Did he just make this up for the? No, this was all canon. This was all canon. All S- canon. See, I don't know, and perhaps it's because I've, I've known since then the story kind of thing that I'm looking at it, and I can pretty clearly see what's going on. I'm just wondering if, in the time, if because there wasn't as much known about the history of Bucky and whatnot, if people kind of were a little surprised or not. Well, you see, that's where we're getting into. And you know, we might as well say, yes, this, the, the whole point of the storyline was to bring Bucky back because the, the Bucky that we know in continuity had not been seen in the comics since the forties. He was along with uncle Ben, you know, the two great characters that never came back from the dead. You know, there were teases and, you know, but those two characters never once came back on their own. And, I remember reading an interview not long after this came out with, I think it was Tom Brevoort at the time. And they were talking about, like, oh, why did you decide now was a great time to bring Bucky back? And he's like, well, we never decided it was a good time to bring Bucky back. It, we never decided we were never going to bring him back. It was just a standard of if somebody was going to do it, they needed a story good enough to do it in. And Ed's plan here was the first time they felt there was a story worthy of doing that. And what we see here is, of course, the revelation that the Winter Soldier, the guys that assassinated the Red Skull, who's been working for Lucan, setting up uh, all these bombs and repowering the Cosmic Cube in the set. The big reveal at the end of the storyline is, yes, that's Bucky, Cap's long-lost sidekick. And they expand upon it in later issues. Like this, this was just like the first chapter of the storyline. This whole storyline went on for like 20-some issues of just one thing after another that – you know, after he had been lost, the Russians found him, you know, gave him the cybernetic arm. And this was the cool thing that they, as far as I know, Brubaker was the one that added it into the lore that, you know, he wasn't always the, you know, the poster child sidekick of the team. You know, you're taking a 15, 16 year old kid into active combat. He's got to be able to handle himself. And it was Brubaker, I believe, that came up with, you know, writing him in as being like the black ops operative of the invaders. You know, the guy that snuck behind enemy lines, just like knifing guards. I was like, that was gnarly at the time. I was like, man, why hasn't anybody else ever done that before? Well, I like too the when when Cap is saying like Bucky's the one in the one who went in and did the things that I couldn't. Mm-hmm. And because of his image and because of his character and things like that. And again, these are things that it's like, wow, was this part of canon before or did this appear with this series? The, the, it, the stuff with Bucky's actions in the war, I think that was Brubaker's creation, but I'm the, not 100% certain. Kudos to him if he's the one that brought that out because, yeah, mm-hmm. it was brilliant. It came off really, really well done. 
And the entire concept of the Winter Soldier, that was all him where the Russians picked up what was left of the body and basically just used him as their master assassin for 50 years, keeping him on ice when they didn't need him. Hence, you know, the Winter Soldier, if you will. So that's why we see him in present day and he's you know in his 20s, if you will. So because he's been kept on ice for the better part of the last 50 years and the story continues to go on. Eventually, he gets his memories back starts fighting his own war and just the interactions between Steve and Bucky, you know, first of all, them being back together again, but you know, Bucky's carrying his own weight of all the assassinations he's performed over the years. And it's just a really cool story that I would encourage anybody to check out. Like I said, it ran through, I want to say close to 20 issues of just basically this story with the two of them and and continue to go on. But this first opening chapter on its own, I, I felt it was very well done. Oh, I agree. Very, very well done. <laughs> uh, unfortunately, I'm hearing with the movie coming out, these comics are kind of hard to find these days. <laughs> Thankfully, there's digital options if that's your thing. But yeah, I, Marvel released, of course, a big new uh, collected edition that immediately sold out everywhere because... Well, they know if you publish a comic that has the Winter Soldier on it at the same time that the movie called The Winter Soldier comes out, you're going to make some money. Yeah. But it, no, it was really cool to see, you know, something straight out of the comics translated onto the screen like that. Because we've seen a lot of stuff inspired by the comics, but this was really the first like modern creation that you can pick up, you know, pinpoint in the movie and point on the comic page and see the direct line between the two of them. So that was pretty cool. Yeah, I, I do like what he was doing with Steve as well, being not doing well and not just because of the false memories that he's having kind of thing, but just the pressure is building. Like you were saying, he's ready to really blow a gasket because that's a side that you don't see of him quite as much. He's always so controlled. So when you're seeing him and he's fighting and he is really laying it on, then... It, again, it's a side of him that was fun to read. It was good enough that, again, I'm going to go back and dig out and find some of these issues so I can follow, keep going with it. I, I did enjoy it. Yeah. And, and, man, and looking back, man, they put Cap through the ringer for a few years because they went through this, you know, said about a year and a half to two years of Winter Soldier-based comics, and then that rolled straight into Civil War. <laughs> it's like this poor guy. He needed to die just to get a break. <laughs> So, yeah, really cool stuff. And it's one of those comics that I knew eventually we were going to read on the episode. And what better chance to do it than with the movie coming out? Yeah. So what did you think of the movie then? I thought the movie was fantastic. And I'm putting it on par with the Avengers film. Uh, Easily, of course, because of the huge spectacle with the giant battle and all the heroes, Avengers wins out in the action department. But in every other way, Captain America was a better movie, better written, better acted. Uh, It had a story, (laughs) which you look back, Avengers really didn't have much of a story. But everything they did with S.H.I.E.L.D. and uncovering the corruption and just Cap being Cap. Like there's been so much going around the Internet the past few days of character studies of Captain America. And you have this movie plot that revolves around – who can you trust? You know, you, who, can you trust Shield? Can you know, can you trust the government? It, there's a lot of 
really poignant modern day parallels as far as like surveillance and police states and a lot of stuff in there. And I mean, kudos to the Russo brothers who prior to this, their only major film was the crappy romantic comedy with Owen Wilson. I mean, they've been doing some cool stuff on TV, but God, if you had told me that the guys that did you, me and Dupree were making a Captain America movie, I would jump off a building <laughs> but god they pulled it off man as so, but having all of that and at this time captain america was always captain america he always held up his ideal you know it's not the brubaker interpretation of cap you know he's not on edge but no this is you know the traditional classic interpretation of captain america of he does what's right because it's the right thing to do. So it was cool seeing like we like I talked about last week with Miss Marvel. It's nice to see a superhero that does heroic things just because it's the right thing to do. And throughout the whole movie, that's what we saw here. And it was really awesome. Cool. And like I said, even though it was the worst kept secret in the history of movies, still when they revealed that the Winter Soldier was Bucky, half the people in the theater lost their minds. <laughs> but I mean the cast was fantastic. I mean, Scarlett Johansson was the best we've seen out of her as the Black Widow so far. Of course, Chris Evans just is Captain America at this point. Sam Jackson got some action scenes for once. Like he he got a chance to be awesome as Nick Fury. And I cannot say enough about Anthony Mackie. Like he is he's a star. <laughs> like he had great screen presence and the work they did with him as the Falcon as far as effects and the flying and the combat I mean, there were there were parts of this where I, I think he was better than Iron Man, <laughs> like as far as like the flying stuff was concerned. So uh, overall, top to bottom, loved the movie. Cool. I also read some comics, though, <laughs> just briefly. Uh, I finally did read issue 25 of Skull Kickers. And yes, great hilarity. But looking back at it and reading the recap page... <laughs> There's a lot that goes on there. Yeah, it's only been 24 issues. When did Zub fit in this much insanity? I know, I know. (laughs) And then uh, Ultimate Spider-Man 200. Did you check that one out? No, I haven't actually. Oh, my God. This is one of those Bendis makes you cry issues. Okay. Uh, Because the the whole uh, part of the the story is it's it's the two-year anniversary of Peter's death. So Aunt May and Gwen basically invite everybody over for a get together. It's not a funeral per se, but of course everybody's a little uncomfortable. Miles is there, uh, Kitty, Iceman, Human Torch, like basically everybody who interacted with uh, Peter over the years. And it was, they're sharing stories about, you know, their time together. And then at the end, they start sharing like the dreams they had for Peter if he had grown older. And I was just like, and they were done in these beautiful two-page spreads. Like he brought in a bunch, you know, all the artists that had worked on Ultimate Spider-Man contributed to the issue. And it was just like, I hate you, Bendis. Like it was, it, it was, it was, it was really good. It, everything we saw with the the funeral, the same feeling here. Hmm. So absolutely check that one out. Oh yeah, for sure. All right, what do you have for us this week? That's it. That's you got one. I had. Too, but okay. I didn't spend a lot of time talking well, about the movie. The movie, I figured it was about. Actually, I'm not going to take too much time either. Um, I just wanted to tackle two, and it's from that South by Southwest package hmm. from Comixology that you had told me about uh, a while back. And uh, for folks who aren't aware, there was a uh, Comixology 
pack that you could buy. And I can't remember how many issues were in there. Was it 100 issues, I think? It, it, well, 100 comics. Like some yeah. of them are full graphic novels. You yeah. can't even call it issues. Yeah. And uh, and it wasn't a lot. It was like 10 bucks, wasn't it? 10 or something? bucks. So yeah. it was kind of hard to say no. Now, in that, though, <laughs> you got some bad comics. I got about $10 worth of readable comics. <laughs> you got some bad Bad, bad comics. I was under the impression that we were going to be discussing this a lot more. So I read even a bunch of the bad ones. <laughs> and I'm talking... It's still a possibility, but 100 is a lot to get through. I didn't get through them all, obviously. But I thought, okay, well, let's tackle some of these. And wow, some of these were 12-year-old boys wrote and drew some of these comics there. In that. Grand. But let's... I'm going to tackle two here um did you read by any chance astronaut dad i looked at it but i didn't actually read it read it it was okay. written by david hopkins and art by brent schoenover whatever um and it's very i i really like the style actually it's a simplified kind of style but you as you continue reading, it works perfectly for what the series is because it takes place. Um, I do I have the year exactly. It's back during the the rush to get men into space and things like that. And mm -hmm. you have it's from the point of view mainly of a boy whose father he is back up a backup astronaut essentially so he doesn't think that he's getting any time in the air um in space when in fact it turns out that yeah he is he's spying on the russians <laughs> while he's going up there <laughs> so it's all confidential but you're getting these stories of these these families who are you know the the, the fathers are holding on to these secrets and not letting on that they're spying on Russia while in space they're they are going into space constantly and there's always a danger and that comes up later on as well and and the kids are dealing with that they're also dealing with things from that time and and whatnot with the the scare of it being bombed and all kinds of other things it is a very good series um i don't know how many issues it went for the what we get here is actually 160 pages so you're reading for quite a while and and it is really really good i enjoyed it a lot so yeah make sure to check it out the other one is and this was going to be one that i was going to be like okay this is going to be the one that i bitch about <laughs> <laughs> in addition to brandy bear i'm going to read bikini cowboy and this is going to be my freaking comics are written by kids. Turns out. It was actually kind of good. It was freaking fantastic. <laughs> okay, maybe fantastic's a little strong, but it was good. So you read this one? Yeah, I actually did read that one. And it was like, damn. It was, so it's written, drawn, and created by Fresher Luke, which is obviously just a nickname. Although I really liked the art style. Very, very cool. Yeah. Very loose flowing kind of thing. And yet when you're looking at angles of shots and whatnot and the shading, I loved this art black and white throughout. It was well done. And, that, and then again, it's the concept I thought, cause you have this 
young girl who just goes around in a freaking fedora bikini and long coat and I thought okay this is going to be just constant jokes about mm-hmm. that and there's a number of them but not that many and it kind of uh, there, there comes a point because it's again another long one 377 pages there comes a point where you're not even thinking about it anymore and then it comes up later on and you have this whole they're Hawaiian witches I felt that it was never explained enough why because it, it's okay it, with that <laughs> it, it really felt like a device where the writer thought okay I'm making a western where the hero is going to be a girl in a bikini how do I wrap my story around that versus coming up with the story and that's just part of it yeah it, it, it absolutely felt like you know like he, he had his sketchbook one day and just yep. came up with you know a girl in a bikini with cowboy hat and went huh I can do something with yes, that. Yes, which I, I, if you're going to do something with that, <laughs> prepare to groan, flesh it out. You need to make sure that there's the backstory is known, that it makes sense. And it's not just, oh, I needed to write this in. And so, oh, she's a Hawaiian witch. Well, what does that, what does that mean? Now, maybe this comes up later on. I don't know if this even continued after this. Or maybe he planned on continuing it later on. I don't know. But, you know, inside of 377 pages, that's enough for you to explain this to us. And it's and it's not. There's also a few scenes where it's kind of, you know, when you have a, a woman that's going to flash herself to a young boy in a scene you're thinking, okay, well now you're just doing fan service, which is stupid. And then you have the scene where there's the making cracks about them being lesbians. And, and it's, you get the feeling here's the writers preaching against that. You gotta be careful what you're putting in when you're doing your own stuff and you're publishing your own stuff. Like don't be a jackass, like write it well, because other than that, and if he had been able to really, again, flesh out the character so that it makes sense why this is going on. Because you can't just build towards one freaking wave. <laughs> like that. There has to be more than that. And sadly, there isn't. And But if he could have, then it would have been way great. As it is, it's fun. It was a fun read. I really dug the artwork. And there were some scenes that were really, really quite cool. So it's still worth reading. It's just it could have been quite a bit more. Yeah, and it's definitely something I want to come back to at a later date because the cool thing about that whole uh, pack and the reason it was released at South by Southwest time was that they're all self-published. Like this is through Amazon's uh, submit program where you can submit your own comics to be published on Comixology without you know needing Marvel or Image or anybody else uh, to back you. And like I was, the thing is, you know. 100 comics is a lot to get through <laughs> to prepare an episode. And like I said, a lot of them, I didn't realize some of these were full graphic novel length stories. So there's well over 100 issues to read here. It's it's probably closer to 200. So it, at, at some point, if we ever get through enough of them, or we may just bring them up from time to time of what we're reading, because it's definitely something that I want to bring more attention to. Yeah, yeah. And again, there's some terrible ones but i actually read some that were really quite good and impressive did you get to the deep yet no i did not that's the one that's actually written by tom taylor 
Oh, okay. And it's very interesting to see him write a story where Superman isn't evil. Okay. Superman's not even in it. I'll, I'll, I'll check. Although that's that it. does remind me, uh, Injustice is still awesome. Yes. <laughs> All right. He I'm wrote done. the scene oh, that Commissioner done. Gordon needed for the past 75 years. I didn't read the last one, so don't spoil anything. I'm just saying, after 75 years, it's nice that somebody finally had Commissioner Gordon say these things. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, moving into uh, the new releases that we're really looking forward to this week. For Marvel, we have all new Ghost Rider number two. We have all new X-Men number 25, Captain Marvel number two, and Deadpool number 27, which is being hailed by Marvel as the most important issue 27 of any comic ever. We're looking at you, Detective Comics. But now this is a huge, uh, I don't even want to say it's double size. It's probably close to quadruple size issue, which basically every writer who has worked on a significant part of Deadpool for the past 20 years at this point, however long it's been, uh, is coming in. Even people who up until very recently were exclusive with the competition. Uh, Gail Simone actually has a story in here. First time she's written for Marvel in over a decade. And this is the big wedding issue. So if you put all that together, it's going to be some epic hilarity, I'm sure. And then two big launches that I know we're both really excited about. We finally have Iron Fist, the living weapon, number one, as well as Nightcrawler, number one. So I'm really excited for some Marvel stuff this week. Oh, yeah. Uh, but we're not done with relaunches yet, or flat-out launches. Uh, DC, we finally get the long-awaited Batman Eternal number one. God, I've been waiting for this comic for a while. Like I said, Zero Year not doing it for me. I want a good modern-day Batman story. We also have Justice League 3000 number five and Superman Wonder Woman number seven. Image brings us East of West number 11, Invincible 110, and a new one, Shudder number one. It looks pretty pretty darn cool it's uh kind of like they, they call it like a an homage to indiana jones where it's this great adventurer and it looks like it plays out in like some differing differing art styles like with the various eras that she's been through and i know that's not typically art bag when they switch up art styles but it's still an interesting enough concept that i'm interested in checking it out and of course idw brings us samurai jack number seven the rule 63 issue so that's going to wrap us up here at Comic Book Informer. As always, you can find us online at comicbookinformer.com. Make sure you check out the show notes for that creepy, creepy Archie picture. <laughs> and you can always find us on Twitter at CB Informer. So until next week, Hail Hydra. Did you see the one with Bert and Ernie? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to have to find that one now. <laughs> That, I nearly lost it when I saw that one. I was like, oh, dear Lord. <laughs> and, and I've seen a hundred of them at this point. Still funny. <laughs> <laughs>